You're now entering a restricted zone. Welcome to Area 52. We're getting an opportunity to interview Greg Lawson. He is known as the paranormal detective. Now, this guy has more experience, insane experience I've ever, I've ever heard about. He's traveled to over 40 countries. He's visited some of the strangest places on earth. He has over 25 years in law enforcement. Um, he's not only a professional uh, law enforcement officer, an investigator, a police academy instructor, a college educator, and former ex uh, expert witness for investigative procedures. He also researches and investigates human paranormal experience and locations known for uh, spiritual uh, or unusual activity. Now, he also has a 10-year military veteran experience with, both, with all the, listen to this, the U.S. Army, the Army Force. Wow. And uh, is currently a Lake Patrol and Underwater Recovery Team Sergeant in Central Texas. So, <laughs> quite the resume. Yeah. yeah amazing. Huh. It, it, it's called Armed Forces Attention Deficit Disorder. That's <laughs> how do you now? I've seen your pictures. You're, you're not you're not a 75 year old man. So how do you <laughs> squeeze all of these careers into the short life that you've done? Yeah, I. Uh, I'm, I think I'm 28. Yeah. <laughs> we all are. What a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think I peaked out about right there. Yeah. Um, no, man, people ask me all the time, hey, you know, what do you mean you've been in this branch and that branch? You've done that. Like, Dude, all you got to do is sign the paper. <laughs> you know, it's, they, they'll they'll take you. It's it's just fine. Yeah. So uh, I just, um, you know, I just didn't think I'd live this long. So I just, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> did what I wanted to do. And, uh and so there, yeah, it kind of just brought me to here. Now, were you always fascinated by the paranormal, by the unexplained, going into your law enforcement and military experience, or was that something that you discovered visiting all these amazing countries? I mean, you've had deployments to Central America, Europe, Northern Africa, Asia, the Middle East, the, the Western Pacific I mean, you've been all over. You've probably seen and experienced things that many people couldn't even imagine. So were you going into that with a paranormal uh, interest, or did those spark your interest? So, no. Um, so my, my brother sparked my interest in the paranormal when I was five. He's about 12 years older than me, and he used to take me on his motorcycle to uh, – to graveyards and weird places and stuff, and we'd get out and look around and look at stuff. And, and then he'd scare me a little bit. We'd jump back on the motorcycle and go back home. Um, and that, that just kind of um, – that started it, I guess. Um, I was always interested in, in whatever the unusual thing was. And in high school, you know, we used to run around. You did a lot of urban exploring kind of stuff and, and, uh, and what you would call ghost hunting. I guess uh, it had to do with Mickey's malt liquor, you know, cigarettes and, and uh, fast cars and going to the graveyards and, uh, you know, or, and so it, it was just kind of like that. And it was very an informal thing, but I feel like even my high school experiences, I, I had, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of built my resume as far as where I'd been and, and what I was paying attention to because, you know, in the eighties um, or the late seventies, early eighties, we didn't really 
at least we didn't think that much about, you know, recording things and taking pictures. We just wanted the experience. Right. You know? And so with that, I went into the army and, uh, and everywhere I was stationed or wherever we would deploy, I would always do a little bit of research as much as I could. And in that time frame through the encyclopedia Britannica to try to figure out, you know, what was going on because we didn't have the internet to look up everything. Right. So it was, it was much more, uh, uh, much more intensive as far as research goes, you know? And so when I would go to another country, I would, whenever we would have, you know, any kind of R and R or, or a weekend off or whatever, I would uh, automatically try to get away from the soldier, sailor, airman people that I was with and kind of uh, get lost off into the indigenous population and, and see what it's all about. And I would always pick, places that were, you know, uh, of legend or, um, you know, had a good story behind them. So your research is, well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense that you have the, uh, the law enforcement and, and military background, because it seems like your research, even from the beginning was always very much historical and, and research based rather than it, you know, going into those things, learning, learning the, the lay of the land and, and the history of, of the haunting, if you will before you actually went and investigated it. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I typically uh, um, I typically typically go to the historical account and then the legend, and then does the legend make sense with the historical account, uh, you know, and what kind of documentation you have out of that. Because, I mean, I, I get people ask me questions all the time. It's really funny when it, whenever somebody says, oh, you're going out of town, you're doing this. I'm like, yeah. I'm, um, they go, what are you going to do? Said, I'm uh, I'm going to Romania and I'm going to go look at Hunadora Castle where Vlad the Impaler was prison, in prison for a little while and I'm just going to check it out and they're like what? What are you doing? <laughs> like ah, I'm kind of ghost hunting sort of and they roll their eyes. Wow. Like oh boy, a ghost hunter. Okay, uh, that's that's great. And the conversation continues on, but inevitably, they that person that rolled their eyes at me always comes up with a ghost story. You know, you know, my grandma used to do whatever, or, or when I was a kid, this happened to me. So it's it's really interesting on how people um, kind of take in the paranormal and process it, um, because you know, people say, well, oh, well, you're a skeptic, you're a debunker. That's what you do. You go in there and say, you know, this didn't happen. Like, no, that's that's not my goal. Um, I am a skeptic. I am not a cynic. People. People use that word skeptic as a bad thing. If you are an investigator, you have to be a skeptic or else you are gullible yeah. or you're cynical. You know, it's, it's, it's that continuum and you need to be somewhere in the middle and allow the, you know, testimony, allow the physical evidence, allow the, you know, the legend push you toward the cynic or toward the gullible. You know, it either didn't happen or absolutely happened for sure. Right. So you have to be a skeptic doing this stuff. Yeah, we have a saying on the podcast, uh, not everything's a ghost. Yeah, that's right. Or a demon. Or yeah. a demon. Right. Right. Or, yeah. or, or a Sasquatch. I mean, put in whatever it is, solve for X. I mean, it's always it's, – it's, that's exactly how you want to approach it. We call ourselves skeptical believers because that's exactly the way to go in. Otherwise, you say you get you, – you buy everything you're sold. Um, yeah, you you have to do that. And now, what's interesting about you, and I want to hear about your paranormal experiences, but you also 
um, dabble in the world of UFO uh, abductees. And, and so, I mean, your, your world, your, your spectrum of, of belief is fairly wide, right? Okay, so my spectrum of interest is very wide. Oh. Um, I'm not really sure where my belief system lies. I'm a recovering Catholic, so you know, <laughs> anything can happen. Um, you know, people, it's really funny. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to somebody who's Catholic, and they're like, oh, ghost hunting. Oh, that's, yeah, that's silly. I'm like, really? Uh, the Holy Ghost, you pray <laughs> to saints, you you believe in transubstantiation, that when the, the mystery of the Eucharist and the priest prays over the, the, the bread and the wine, he actually turns it into the body and blood of Christ. Well, I'm the weirdo. Okay. I'm completely clear on this. And I can say that because I'm, like I said, on my tombstone, it will say Catholic because that's what I was raised as. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, have, I have great friends of mine that have uh, lived great lives. You know, they, they did good in elementary, junior high, and high school. Uh, they listened to their teachers. They did what their coaches told them. They listened to their parents. You know, they, they uh, got jobs or went to college. They met the love of their life. They got married. They go to church every Sunday. They raised kids. They raised, you know, grandchildren. And they had a great life. But the interesting thing about them is they ask no questions. Right. They, they just listen and go, okay, that's the way my world is. That's my reality. <laughs> and I sit back and I go, yeah, that's uh, there's more to this than that. It's, you know, there's more to this than the the you know uh, old man floating in the cloud up there uh you know gonna bring down wrath or bless us or something there's something more going on and i'm not sure what it is well you're 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 surrounded you're in the the, the town of of uh of mormons so uh you know i mean growing up here it's the exact same way there's a lot of people who like you say they don't ask questions and um and then when you i mean our parents, you know, my parents, I can speak for that, are LDS, and I've had conversations with them in the same way of like, you know, you believe in this, but you don't believe in this. And you're right. It is interesting. Um, and that's that's kind of what, you know, you, like you said, your your range of of interest is is wider than your range of believability or uh, be, believing in these things. Um, yeah. So the, where, where, where do you draw the line? I mean, you know, you you, you talk to people who've seen UFOs. Um, do you believe that these are extraterrestrial crafts? Are they military? Being in the military, understanding that the, you know, I mean, seeing things that you've seen and maybe understanding that there are black ops and things that you might not know. Um, I mean, do you believe that it's our government doing this? Uh, how far does your belief go in that area? Well, we know for a fact our government is doing that. <laughs> There's no right. dispute there. Um, you know, they have. Uh, said they're not doing something, and okay, we were doing it, but we weren't doing what you said, and now actually, uh, what we told you we were doing, we weren't doing actually that, we were doing something else, And it, but it, I want to be honest with you, I want to be honest, you know, the, the government is always going to tell us that, and they're going to jerk us around, um, I, I dealt with that, I deal with that today, um, the, the politics and the, the uh, you know, countermeasures and counter-countermeasures that people use in communications to try to, you know, dissuade or, or confuse people on what the real issue is. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a shame, there's a lot of people uh, that get on the internet, watch videos, 
and uh, the the Phoenix Lights are one of them. Uh, there's there's a couple of other videos out there that talk about these giant you know spacecraft and and you can see the front leading edge of it because it has these lights you know these string of lights on it and they 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 they're basically suffering from pareidolia they're they're sitting there looking at the clouds going hey there's snoopy oh there's you know there's jesus oh there's a fish um and they're doing it at night with these lights well any combat veteran that's been uh, anywhere where you're using um uh, any kind of aerial gun, gun support or or uh, aircraft, uh, you know, uh, air to ground support, you're going to know what flares look like, and you've because you've seen them multiple times. When when uh, aircraft are going through and they get locked on by uh, enemy radar, they'll throw chaff out or they'll throw flares or they'll throw other countermeasures out to try to confuse uh, the enemy's radar. And so when our you know, Air Force are flying around and doing different exercises or just accidentally hit the button and dump a bunch of flares out. Um, if you don't know what you're looking at, it is paranormal. It's, you know, an unidentified flying object. Look at those lights. And it's not that at all. Now, probably 90-something percent of these types of sightings can be explained. The question is, is what are the rest? When, when I do a, a paranormal investigation, I try to rely on my credibility as an investigator. I try to rely on my training, my experience, and the research that I've done. Uh, my master's degree is in education, but I did it in complex adaptive systems. It's an interdisciplinary degree where I concentrated on three separate topics and brought them together to explain how they affect one another and how they affect everything outside of it. So when I go into an investigation, I'm looking at it from an interdisciplinary standpoint or a multidisciplinary standpoint, and I think I can kind of put things together in a u unique way that a lot of people don't don't always, you know, think about it that way. So, yeah, I can go on forever for that. Sorry. No, that's fine. I, I think <laughs> I, I I mean I agree with you. You know, we've uh, as a as a team have ghost hunted. Uh, quite a few locations ourselves. Um, you know, I've been to Gettysburg uh, with my partner in ghost hunting when it was basically empty. And, and, you know, I've heard and seen, we've all heard and seen things that we can't explain, not only paranormal, um, but also uh, in the sky where, you know, like you say, we've seen nine things. And that was that 10th one that I, we just can't explain. Have you ever personally seen a UFO? Uh, by sight, I, I've seen I've seen things I can't explain because I, you know, I, I they're too far away. A light way on the horizon, mm -hmm. uh, moving in a certain way. The the funny thing is, you know, people talk about uh, uh, UFOs how they will change directions immediately. Mm -hmm. They'll just go right, left, right, left. Well, if you're in a fighter aircraft and you're running an afterburner and you're swerving to the right and you're swerving back to the left and you're swerving up and you're swerving down from the rear it looks like right angles it looks like you're moving in right you know very sharp angles that a normal aircraft cannot do so if you're looking at it from behind uh, there's a different um you know it's kind of a, it's not an optical illusion but it's kind of like that mm -hmm. because they're going away from you and then they're moving up to the right they're moving left they're moving up down and it will look that way. Uh, with that said, 
Um, so I was an operations specialist in the Navy, and one of the things that I did was air intercept uh, control, and I did uh, detect, uh, air detection and tracking. So part of my job was I was a database manager, and I would um, watch for airborne contacts. So have I seen uh, radar interpretation of a flying craft operate outside of the uh outside of my understanding of how a normal aircraft would operate absolutely and I've, had, I've seen it several times and it's not like okay we were in the indian ocean and uh and oh i got a contact it's jumping all over the place look at it it's crazy it's a squall man it's it's a cloud out there and it decided to rain and the the concentration of rain in the different places makes the video you know, jump around, and all you got to do is just tune your tune your radar a little bit, and you can get those seagulls or those uh, that rain or whatever it is that's out there. Right. Uh, the thing that that will really throw you off is when you have a solid contact that you know has a a maintained course and speed and a course altitude, uh, and that uh, that speed and the maneuvering that it's doing does not equate to what you understand is physics and, and someone able to actually do that. So, you know, the, uh, it's not, it's not unheard of and it's, it's not, not talked about uh, as far as our West coast from uh, Alaska down to um, um, almost to the tip of Baja. There's all kinds of things that happen on our West coast that the U S military and also uh, other civilian agencies watch as far as uh it's almost like air air corridors. Um, it's rare, but it does happen, and people talk about it. So, my experience with UFOs is that. Um, now, I've interviewed. Um, I'm gonna. I hate to put a number. I know I've I've interviewed over fifty people that mm-hmm. claimed abduction. Huh. Um, and you know, all of them kind of have the same story, and uh, and it's. It, it makes you wonder whether, you know, is this cultural? Is it socio, you know, something having to do with social uh, interaction? Is it is it mental illness? Is it, you know, histrionic personality disorder? What, what is it uh, about these particular people? And um, and it just, it, you know, there there is something going on. Um, I haven't quite put my finger on it yet, though. Hi, Greg. It's Danielle. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Good. This has been awesome. Um, as as far as like when you interview these people, do you ever seem to find that there's like a common theme um, amongst the ones that really strike you as being, um, what's the word, authentic, I guess I could say? Is there is there something that really stands out to you? Okay, so um, you talk to a guy like Travis Walton. He'll be uh, there in, in uh, uh, March of the Aliens on, on Saturday. Um, Travis had a profound experience. Uh, I, to define what he – yeah, I mean, to talk to him, it's like there's no reason for him to, to put himself out to ridicule for, for what happened. You know, they, just to make something up or try to cover something, it, makes, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and so I've talked to several different people um, that I, I was actually blown away by because 
I'm going to use the North. They seem so normal, you know, and all of a sudden they're like, hey, you know, can we talk sometime? You know, I'm like, yeah, okay. So it, it, it kind of makes me wonder, it's like, okay, are they, they pulling my leg on this or what is it? What I try to do is I try to, just like everything else, um, establish what their credibility is, uh, establish that they don't have any physical, um, you know, anomalies that would cause them to see things like cataracts or floaters or, you know, they had LASIK surgery or something that could disrupt that or they're having auditory problems or whatever. So I, I try to uh, um, vet them, you know, on their history, on their education, on their, their, their physical body and, uh, and go with what they, they tell me um, and collect as much information as I can from that. Sometimes I'll do regression. I'm, I'm not, I, I don't, I've never been trained in doing that, but I've been, you know, trained in, uh, you know, interviewing, taking statements, interviewing, cross-examination, um, that sort of thing. So I can sit there and, and ask much deeper questions, I think, and establish a baseline of what their story is. Um, and as you ask, you know, is there a standard thing? Well, yeah, usually it has to do with bright lights. Usually it has to do with very skinny uh, um, odd-shaped uh, individuals. It has to do with pain. Um, mm-hmm. I've talked to some people that, that there, there's one lady I, I talk to pretty regularly, um, and every time she's abducted, all she tells me all she feels is love. That's it. That's all she feels. And I'm like, well, oh. okay, well, that's not a bad, that's not a bad thing then. If, 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 if that, but most people's, um, you know, experience is not at all like that. I had uh, I had a when I was 16 years old I was assistant manager of Pizza Hut yeah don't be jealous I was pulling <laughs> dough man whoa it, yeah and you gave it all up yeah I know it's 1979 assistant manager and and so uh, yeah the the manager had great you know hope for me and everything and so uh, I hired this girl she was probably 23 or 24 years old and uh, as a uh, as a waitress. And uh, one day I was between the oven and the uh, um, the prep table, and she walked back to me. And this is pre, I think this is pre-poltergeist. Uh, she walks back to me with this just absolutely terrified look on her face, grabs my hands, and, and kind of not screams, but just kind of sings, they're here, like that. And then she just locks up uh, catatonic. Just her eyes are bulging out. She's completely frozen i can't move her and then she starts urinating all over herself what and i'm like oh uh-huh. yeah yeah completely lost control of her uh, of her bladder and i'm sitting there going i'm 16 years old i don't know what to do i'm catholic maybe i could i don't know demon i don't know what it was oh my God. and so i'm holding yeah you know, i'm trying to kind of get away from her hands but she's just got a death grip on me and I'm trying to move her, and she won't move. And this goes on for like that, two, three minutes, something like that. It was like a, a, an eternity. There's people yeah. coming up trying to pay for their pizza and stuff, and they're sitting there looking, going, what the heck's going on? Mm-hmm. So after she kind of relaxed, I got her to move, and another waitress came up. We helped, you know, helped her, and we put her in the back, set her uh, at our little break table back there. And I went and cleaned up stuff, and I finally went back to her, and she's back there smoking a cigarette. That's when we could smoke inside. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> And, you know, and I, I talked to her for a little bit, and uh, she says it happened. She goes, yeah, it, it happens all the time. Uh, aliens come and get me, and they take me to their ship, 
and they torture me and then they put me back. What? And yeah, and that and that's what her experience was every time this would happen. Well, this happened a couple of other times and it had happened to her in, in previously. And so the general manager of Pizza Hut at that time was a really cool guy and he said, Look, she needs to go to the doctor, we'll pay for it, don't worry. So sent her to the doctor and she got some sort of MRI or CAT scan or something. I'm not sure what they did in nineteen eighty. But um yeah, she had a lesion on her brain, so they diagnosed her epi- uh, with epilepsy. Uh, now, my question to you is, uh, was she born or did she suffer, you know, traumatic brain injury that caused this scar or this lesion on her brain that resulted in her having these seizures of epilepsy and these experiences? Or <laughs> is it the aliens that have taken her? Right. And performed experience, you know, experiments on her that caused this scarring. Is that the physical evidence of their torture? Um, I think we all can probably agree we're going to stick with the standard medical response on this. But it was so unique and it was so unusual at that time. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, since then, I've had two other people. Now, this is we're looking at over what a. In 80, 90, we're, we're looking on almost at 40 years. But I've, I, I know three other people, or two other people, three total, uh, that have that exact same experience. Hmm. So, so um, when when she was kind of in that catatonic state that you had kind of explained to us, was she was she aware of what was going on, or did did she almost black out, or was she insinuating that's when she was being taken, or that yes. Yes, she she was completely oblivious to what was going on in the Pizza Hut. She was on the spaceship being tortured uh, while she was there. And and I, as a mental health officer, I was a mental health officer for a couple of years. And uh, mental health officers are the ones that uh, when somebody is, um, you know, they, they do a hostage negotiation, suicide mediation, and then they uh, interview people that are having um, uh, hallucinations or delusions that are endangering themselves or other people. Um, the cops will come, secure the scene, and then a mental health officer will come in and interview the person to determine whether or not they need to go uh, to a hospital for further, uh, you know, examination by psychologists or psychiatrists. And so I've done a lot of I've done a lot of interviews with people in that realm, um, and everything's kind of a, a little bit different. But for her, it was. She was absolutely catatonic, which you run into some very advanced uh, schizoaffective or or schizophrenics that will become catatonic and other conditions, too. They will become catatonic, and they are are literally rigid as a board, Mm. Uh, and they're frozen. Their eyes could be locked open, um, and they're just there, and they're breathing, but they don't move, and you try to move their arm, and they're stiff. And that's the way she uh, uh, behaved when when that happened. Wow! So, you know, happy happy times at the Pizza Hut. Crazy <laughs> Free breadsticks, everyone. Just go back oh, to yeah. pizza. Cheese bread. Anybody want cheese? Yeah. Bread? Yeah. Got free cheese bread. Um, let me ask you this now, you know, so right, there are mental health issues, there are drug addicts, uh, there are people identifying things, and then we talk about those ones who aren't. Now, 
assuming that they are having these experiences, and to them it's very real, they are being taken, they are being worked on, they are being tortured, um, then the question remains because, you know, there's that flip side of that coin. Um, there's, you know, the Dr. Stephen Greer I, uh, school of thought where he's talking about that this is all military, that, you know, his whistleblowers have come forward and said that there are black ops sections of the military whose goal and job is to go out and and spread fear. And they have disfigured people who who go out and and work on people so that they keep spreading this myth so that the government and military can continue to siphon trillions of dollars. And we know that's happened in the past. And, you know, no one's allowed to ask about these bases. And then that goes deeper into the underground base theory, you know, guys like Phil Schneider and these a recent string of like underground explosions that are going all over the, um, you know, the bottom of the United States, people saying that it's branching out from places like the supposed underground base at, at Denver Airport, things like that. So you start going, okay, so what school of thought are we? Are we thinking this is either A, alien in nature, meaning another extraterrestrial life force that is far more advanced than us and comes down here and still needs the, for some reason to use secrecy and stealth to kidnap people despite being thousands of years more advanced. B, a military operating scare tactics or experiments on its own people. Or C, it's all just us imagining this. <laughs> Or where, where do we draw the line? Well, I, I think you draw the line through good investigations. We we know, like you said before, we know the military lies to us. Um, we know that uh, there's reasons why they lie to us. And there's very, very, very good reasons why they lie to us about certain things, just for the simple fact that there are other agendas or other things that they're trying to protect or, or position themselves in a way that – is going to be advantageous for the United States. Right. I think we might be close to a point uh, in our technology development that the experiments like on the Tuskegee Airmen and, and the, 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 the experiments that the CIA did in the 50s in Guatemala and stuff that, that is all coming uh, to the surface now. Mm -hmm. I think uh, a, a lot of our um, – planners in the military uh, are are much more aware of the fact that information is uh, out there right now and it gets sent out and everybody can see it and um, you know if you end up being discovered that uh, you're torturing people from the United States and you're the US military it's going to be really really bad yeah. now there's always going to be the conspiracy theorists that will throw in there uh, that this this happens, and I have been in those situations to where I've been either in a military situation or law enforcement situation that was very precarious, uh, and the only reason that you know civil rights or the rights of other individuals were not violated is because somebody was smart enough to step in and stop the investigator that was, you know, this single focused individual that wanted to hammer somebody or just wanted to get that case off their desk. So I think, um, I think our, and I say our planners, I'm talking about uh, people in the military, people uh, in civilian uh, sectors that plan strategically on uh, the, you know, uh, the interest of the United States. And 
they're in a very precarious place right now to start pulling stuff over, you know, and try to pull the wool over eyes. The only, the only caveat to that on tricking and lying is there is so much tricking and lying going on uh, on the internet. It'll confuse anybody. And pretty soon you just go, oh, I don't know what the hell's going on. What's for lunch? You know? <laughs> right. There's, I mean, there's that point. I've, I've, I've investigated, I've investigated murders, uh, been a lead on a murder, and I know, one, this person was killed, and two, the, the two suspects were there, and I don't know anything else for the simple fact that I interviewed the suspects before they were suspects. I interviewed suspects when they became suspects. I interviewed suspects when they became arrestees and were incarcerated, and every time they told me a different story. So there is a point of gathering information that you get to where you go, okay, I have so much bad information, I can't call out what the good stuff is. Right. But I but I know this incident happened, and here we go. You go to the grand jury and you you get, try to get your indictment. Hmm. Um, but you know it's it's there there's it, it's so funny because. Uh, some people get uh, really wrapped up on, you know, an individual who lies to you. Well, you know, the government lied to us once, so they're lying to us all the time. No, that's not how it works. Uh, there's lies of commission, and there's lies of omission. There's either a lie that I did something, or there's a lie that I don't know anything about that something. And so you're sitting there trying to balance this. Uh, to try to glean any good information out, um, and it's really hard. And, and you know, you get into the type one or type two errors and thinking of, all right, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure something out, and I'm walking down the road, and the bush to my right rustles. Well, I could point my gun at it and make sure that nothing jumps out of the bush, and if it does, I'll shoot it, and then I find out, well, it was just the wind. Okay, that's a type one error. I was ready. And I understood what the potential was, but that's not what it was. A type two error is when you walk by that bush and it's rustling, and you go, ah, it's just the wind, and the tiger jumps out and takes your face <laughs> off. You know? So it's the same thing with the government. You know, it's like, okay, well, uh, type one errors, I, I can't fault the government with everything. You know, it's just like, you're screwed up. Everything you do is screwed up because it's not. They do fantastic things for us. Um, but... <laughs> The bad stuff that they do is, you know, can be really bad. Yeah, really, so, really bad. Yeah, really, really bad. Sure. No, that's understandable. Well, let me ask you this then. Now, you've never seen a UFO, but they they call you the paranormal detective. You've been to some, I assume, of some of the most haunted and interesting places. I can't wait to hear about them. But have you ever seen a ghost? And if I so, how many have you seen and where have you been? And tell us about your paranormal life. So no, I have never seen a ghost. No. Uh, yeah, just yeah. You want to end the show now? We can. No. Uh, no. No. I. But have you? I mean, have you ever? Have, I'm assuming in all the times that you've investigated paranormally active places, you probably because I I personally have never seen a full body apparition. My wife Danny, right here next to me, has she's she has she has her story, Melissa, uh, apparition. Yes. She's seen her apparition. I personally never have, but I've experienced other things. Have you experienced other things that you can't explain? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, the things that I experienced, yeah, I, I was, I, so 
when I when I went to uh, Austin, I went to Austin Community College, and I uh, I was gonna um, I was gonna get my degree in psychology. So I did all my stuff there, and then I went over to uh, um, South Southwest Texas State University, um, and I did everything but statistical analysis for behavioral sciences. And uh, <laughs> that's when I went. You know what? Um, I don't want to hear your problems, so I don't want to, I'm not going to be a great psychologist here. So I I, I shifted gears, right? Uh, and I got a, a bachelor's of, of applied sciences. And so I look at a lot of these things. Like I said, I, I look at it differently. And, and my friends that are in the, you know, like I said, I was a mental health officer. I almost got a degree in psychology. So I know a lot of people in, in the mental health world and the psychological world, I guess. And they would tell me that, you know, the things that I've experienced are just, you know, hypersensitive uh, to the environment because I'm hypersensitive to the environment or I'm, uh, uh, you know, my amygdalas are creating these visions in the dark uh, because that's what amygdala is supposed to do. The little part, of, you know, walnuts in the, in the back of your brain or little almond shaped things in the back of your brain. And uh, they're designed to react. To things that are going to scare you because it's a survival mechanism. So to get to your question, I, I've had experiences that I cannot explain. Um, and I will share one, and I share this one because it's the most profound one. Um, in, I don't know, was it 1983 or something like that? I was, uh, I was in Alaska, and I was uh, sent to Kodiak Island to go through a pararescue school. So I was down there for three weeks going through this school, and um, while I was there in Kodiak, I went to the little uh, – they had a little museum. I think, it's, I think it was a museum or like a little historical, you know, Kodiak Historical Society building. And I went in, and I looked at some of the stuff, and it was, I was fascinated because I – at that time, I probably should have known, but I, I was 19 years old. At that time, I didn't realize that Russia was so involved in Alaska. I knew that they sold us Alaska. But I didn't know that they were so involved uh, and did so many bad things in Alaska. So um, I, I, I started looking at that, and I, uh, I decided that when hi. Sorry, we got disconnected. Sorry about that, Greg. I don't know what happened. All right. We were in the middle of the Alaska story. Yeah, so we had to... just okay. heard about how bad Russia was to Alaska. Okay. So uh, Alaska, you know, w had so much influence at that time. Uh, Russia went in there and killed all kinds of the indigenous population, the Aleuts, and I'm sure Eskimo and, and others. And um, so – I, I saw that there was a place called Three Saints Bay, which was the original um, uh, colony that was set up uh, by the Russians. So I was like, man, I want to go there. And I found out that it was it was wiped out by a tsunami like 10 years after they built it, and they moved it to a place called Old Harbor. So Old Harbor is like a town-owned it's, – it's, it's not an Indian reservation, but it kind of is. It's kind of this weird company-owned town. And so 
I was like, I want to go down there and I'm going to see if I can figure out how to get over to Three Saints Bay. So I went and got a Alaska Uber in, you know, 1983, <laughs> um, which is you just go to the closest airport and there's just guys hanging out over there and like, hey, man, can you take me here? And uh, they'd, you know, take you wherever you're going. I thought you were going to say sled dogs. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it was, it's a lot faster than sled dogs. For sure. <laughs> and so I rode with this dude, and uh, we went to uh, um, Old Harbor, and we landed. And I, it was like kind of a little outside of town, and I walked into town. It's so bizarre because I'm walking along, and I look up, and I'm like, what is that? And it was a uh, Russian Orthodox church. It was a big balloon, you know, the little thing like a, on the, the Russian, uh, I forget what it's called, but anyway, it's got the, it's like a teardrop shaped yeah, roof. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Alaska, there's this weird church, you know, it was just bizarre. So anyway, I go down there and I, I get I get a little hotel and I, um, or motel, I should say. And there's like four rooms. It was like the Bates Motel. It's awesome. <laughs> and uh, so I go down to the, to the, uh, the harbor and I uh, uh, ended up working out a deal for a fisherman to take me over to, to uh, Three Saints Bay and to a place called Refuge Rock. Refuge Rock was a place that the uh, the Indians, the uh, Aleuts would go whenever they were attacked. And it was, it's about 300 yards off the beach on Sitkaladak Island. Uh, this is in the middle of nowhere. Let me tell you, I mean, it's not even in the middle of nowhere. It's on the edge of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I, I get this guy to take me over there. And he won't drop me off, uh, and I just didn't think there were that many bear on on the island there. And I figured if the bear would come after me, I'd just get in the water. <laughs> I'm not real smart. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, and so we 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 go over there, and he drops me off of, on this little sand spit uh, between Sitkaladak. It's almost split in half. It's just got this little sand spit between it, and then Refuge Rock is I don't know, it's maybe 300 yards. I can't remember. Um, but I get off and he's going to come back and pick me up in eight hours. I'm going to walk around and do this stuff. Well, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at the island. And the only thing I can tell you is I was supposed to go there. I can't explain anything else. I had such a profound spiritual experience of they wanted me on that island. <laughs> Whatever they is, I don't know. Right. But, I mean, it was it, – it, I can't. I can't explain it any better than that. Um, and and so I was looking, and, and it, looked, it looked like to me that somebody had dug on one side of this, uh, this sand spit and put dirt or the sand out into the bay, and it looked like to me that there was like a, like a causeway underwater going to the island. And so I had just spent three weeks swimming in that water, um, you know, so I, it's like 47 degrees, 50 degrees, something like that. Jeez. And I was looking at it, it was low tide, and I thought, you know, if it's only two or three feet deep, I can make it out there. And so I started working my way out there. And after I was probably, I don't know, 70, 80 feet uh, away from the beach, I wasn't very far, maybe a little farther than that, I don't know. The waves were pretty good that day. And so I was getting wet up close to my chest. And then I started thinking about all the animals that are swimming around out there, and I really couldn't see what was going on. So, you know, uh, five seconds later, I found myself on the beach building a fire and trying to dry out my clothes for the next four hours. (laughs) But 
I was supposed to be there, and I'm going to go back there one day. Mm. Yeah, you need to. I, I, and at that time, you were allowed to get on the island. You can't get on the island anymore. It's all protected, federally protected. But the people, when they went to that island, the Russians bracketed fire on them. They took cannon on two different ships and exchanged fire onto that, and they killed for sure at least 300, if not over 3,000 people. Oh and there was a, a Dutch explorer that went there in the late 1700s. This would have happened mid-1700s, I think. And the late 1700s, this Dutch explorer went there and interviewed a bunch of the old uh, people that had survived or had witnessed this. Um, and they described, you know, the, the mothers just taking all their children and throwing them off the cliff into the sea oh, and jumping into the sea so that the uh, the Russians wouldn't take them prisoner because that's what they did. They They took them as slaves. And, uh, yeah, it's it's just an incredible, incredible place. And I I got to lay there on that beach with the wind and the stiff grass that that grows there and and listen to that place. And I can't – I don't know what to tell you. That's that's my most uh, profound experience I've ever had. That would have been a metaphysical experience, I guess. It would have been more – Know, a spiritual thing than a, a ghost thing, but I really believe they were calling to me, and I wasn't brave enough to get out there. Oh, was, you gotta I, go back to there. Yeah. Wow. Someday you gotta go back How out cool, there, Greg. That's really a cool story, though. I, you know, if I find myself a a desolate, lonely old man, that's where I'm gonna go. Aww. And, you know, toward the end, I'm gonna take all my money. And, sell everything, and that's where I'm going to go, and I'm going to go sit out on my beach. No, that's a great plan. Yeah, until the bears come to get me. <laughs> yeah, Alaska's a, Alaska's a land of, of, of quite a few mysteries. Bears, Sasquatch maybe. I don't, I don't know what oh, you yeah. on the Sasquatch myth, but he's up there too, apparently. So, yeah, I was uh, um, for uh, Port Chapman is a... Um, was a cannery up until the late 1940s, um, and it's in the middle of nowhere. Well, I take that back. It's 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 down in the south part of the. I think it's the Seward Peninsula, uh, down from Seward, um, and it's in the only way you can get into there is by boat or by plane. There's no roads, which are a lot like a lot of the towns in Alaska. At least when I was up there. Um, and so I had read this article. There was uh, uh, some research I did. I was probably 19 years old, 20 years old, uh, and I was with an airborne unit in Alaska. And I'd go to the library and look at some stuff and read some books. And, and so there was these uh, newspaper accounts of these men disappearing from Port Chatham. And it was blamed that the the indigenous population there blamed it on Basically, Bigfoot, Yeti, you know. uh, And so this happened so many times that they packed up the whole town and left. They closed the town down because there were so many disappearances, and then they would find the body all mauled and torn up and everything. Not like what a typical bear would do. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's really cool. It's called Fort Chapman, if you uh, Get a chance, look it up. It's it's really it's a really neat story, and so anyway, I I uh, 
I got R and R some rest and relaxation time or whatever. And they sent me down to to Seward uh, to the uh, MWR Morale Welfare and Recreation Center down there, and uh, they had some Coast Guardmen there that were there that they had little boats and they would take you out fishing. You know, it's just something fun for the soldiers and sailors and, and Marines to do. And so uh, I got down there during the week, and they didn't they don't have a lot of activity during the week. And so I talked to these uh, two Coast Guard men. I don't remember their. I, I don't. I didn't. I didn't. I don't know if I ever got their names. Uh, and I told them about this story. And I said, because their their uh, their fishing trips were usually eight hours. You know, you go out fish and then come back. And you spend the whole day out there. And I said, man, it's about eighty miles to this place. Are y'all interested? And they were in for it and jumped on the boat. We went all the way around to Port Chapman, beached the boat, got off, and walked around. And it was incredible. You know, it was so neat to see where the town was. Because they, when they move in Alaska, they don't just get their clothes and leave. They take their house. They disassemble all the wood and everything because it's hard to get. You know, it's very expensive and it's hard to get. So they disassemble everything. Now, they're, they're like uh, pieces of machinery and cans and garbage and just kind of scattered all over the place. But we spent about two hours ashore just walking around and looking at all this stuff, and it was it was pretty cool, mm. really really cool experience. So yeah, there's uh, there's Bigfoot up there somewhere. Wow, what are I mean that that seems like an unbelievable experience to be able to go up and 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 especially have that by yourself. Um, yeah. But uh, what are some of the uh, of the other maybe favorite or or scariest or maybe most well-known places that you've had the opportunity to investigate? So probably one of the most interesting places would be um, Lep Castle in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. It, it The history oh. of it is just absolute mayhem, brutal death, families killing each other. Family members killing each other. Um, there's a uh, there's a, a place there called the Bloody Chapel. And oh, by the way, it was in pretty good shape until uh, the troubles in Ireland. And the, uh, I don't remember who. I think it was the IRA blew up half the castle and destroyed a bunch of it. Oh, wow. I think I shouldn't be blaming the IRA. I'm Irish, so I don't know. <laughs> I, but I, I, it seemed like it was you know somebody with a bomb. Made, they have bombs. Did a bunch of damage. Yeah. So. Um, in in uh, in that castle um, at the top is called the Bloody Chapel, and it is a chapel, and it's got an altar area and everything. Uh, and it, during mass, you know, one of the brothers came in and it, it killed his brother. That was the priest giving that, you know, giving the, you know, the mass. He went in and murdered him in front of everybody and took over, you know. And that's just one example. Wow. Um, the individual that owns it now. Um, was doing some renovations and they ended up I'm removing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make something up here. It was like 16 bodies out of the wall. Wow. And what had happened is, is they would invite people over, uh, their enemies over for you know parlay. Uh, they would have din- dinner. Then they'd go up to the bloody chapel to swear allegiance to each other. Well, that wasn't gonna happen because this family would then just kill you there and throw you in this little hole. That's right behind the uh, the um, the altar, and you just fill up the wall in the back. Yeah. So there's all these bodies inside there. Yeah, 
And, and so, uh, yeah, that was a really – I actually went there with a tour group with some friends of mine, uh, and it was a fantastic experience. But that's one of those places where it's like, man, I would love to spend a couple of weeks mm-hmm. just set up, set up some cameras, set up some stuff, and just kind of monitor, uh, you know, whatever's going on there. Uh, but it, it's fantastic. Lepcock Castle is awesome. Hunadora Castle in, in Romania right. uh, is absolutely, or some people know it as Corvin Castle. Um, that we, we we were in there all night long by ourselves. Oh, how scary! And yeah, I'm, I I uh, decided to to get all equipped up. You know, some some people had some equipment. And I'm like, oh, I never use this stuff. Give me all this. I had cameras and <laughs> night vision. And I, I look, yeah, I was looking all crazy. And I'm, uh, I have one section. Everybody got a different section of castle. This place is huge. And so I got the, the I, I wanted the part of the castle that has collapsed. So I went over to that side just because it's cooler. We're not supposed to climb around in the collapsed castle, but, you know, of course, that's what I do. And so, so I was all over there. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, man, I'm walking down this. Uh, it's the interior of the wall, um, but you can walk through it, and you can see from top to bottom, and, and it's a uh, – there's a wooden structure that you walk on between it. So it's really crazy and precarious, but it's, it's very, very sturdy. I mean, this is really old castle, but it's just made so well. And so I'm walking along and I'm coming up to the, the concrete part of, of what is one of the towers. And, uh, and I see this thing going and it's got a shape to it. And I'm walking, I'm thinking, Oh my God, what the, and I creep up and I get right up next to it, and it's my wife asleep in a sconce. She's sleeping inside of Hunador <laughs> Castle, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "I'm tired. Leave me alone." <laughs> you scared the hell out of me. I really thought this is it. Okay, I can die now. I know there's something else beyond the you know. I the saw great it, yeah. void. And yeah, she just ruined everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she sleeps anywhere. <laughs> Greg, why do you think it is that uh, there hasn't been more of like a, um, a a precedent for people to put cameras in places for like you're saying like three weeks or something like that? I mean, or all the time. Yeah, or all the time. Online I mean, cameras monitoring these castles. Yeah. For things. To well, there there actually are a couple uh, over in uh, the UK. Okay. And um, I, I wish I could tell you which one. I'm not one of those guys that are really good at, at knowing what everybody else is doing. I I try to kind of purposely uh, ignore <laughs> sometimes what other people are doing. I'll, do, I'll read their research maybe. But um, so there there are some some organizations over ASAP. Um, is it is it ASAP? Uh, I, I forget what it what the acronym stands for, but. Um, they do some really good work over in the UK. They do set up cameras, and they have uh, – they've been monitoring this particular bed, I want to say, for like over 10 years. Oh, wow. And Yeah, and they review the, the movement. they got movement sensors and everything. And guess what? This bed moves. This, this pillow moves. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, th- there's some uh, uh, physicists out there that will say, well, of course, you know, there's – uh, decompensation of the uh, atoms. There's, you know, very 
temperature fluctuations that could cause it to load to puff up or get small or whatever. But there's some pretty pretty unusual things happening with that pillow on that bed. Um, that's pretty amazing, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they, they really should do more of that. Um, I'm, I'm working with some folks in uh, Mineral Wells, Texas now, and uh, I, should, I shouldn't say I'm working with them. I, we have discussed some things at length uh, that are going on in there, and, uh, and that's one of the things that I'm going to recommend is, you know, putting some, some stationary cameras, some mounted, hardwired stationary cameras, and uh, do some long-term, you know, uh, evaluation of this stuff. Because if you're just going to be a ghost hunter, and by, I, I define like a ghost hunter is, hey, what are you doing tonight? I don't know. Hey, let's go to the cemetery and see if we can find a ghost. Okay. <laughs> you just go wander around, right? That's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's the paranormal investigator that goes, um, there is a haunting at Hill House. Um, let's go investigate the haunting. Okay, well, what's it all about? I don't know. Somebody killed somebody there, and they said that uh, there's some kids that will talk to you from the well. Okay, <laughs> let's go, and you go do that. I, I take that step further. That's why, you know, I didn't call myself the paranormal detective. It just happened, right? <laughs> and because I was a, a major crimes detective, um, it just it just kind of fell in that way. But anyway, I, I, that's where I encourage people to take that other step because doing the real research is not the sexy part. You know, it's the boring part and it's the tedious part. You piled up with all kinds of records and everything, but it's those little golden nuggets that you find that's absolutely amazing. Um, and, and paying attention to your surroundings. So I, I really think that, that paranormal, you know, when, when you've been doing the same thing for 15 years and you keep doing the same thing for another 15 years and you're getting the same, outcome you know maybe it's time to change gears yeah i i kind of always joke and and kind of give some of the the ghost hunting shows a bad rap and 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 like you're saying i say if you guys are ghost investigators or ghost hunters and it's your job so to speak it kind of seems like they should be able to put themselves in these locations for like a week at a time or you know do a little bit more of an extensive um day and look into some of these places but it's kind of like a, well, we stayed overnight and nothing really happened. I mean, I feel like you kind of need to warm up to the place and let it warm up to you and, and kind of get to know each other before it opens up, so to speak. And, and so I think it would really kind of open up the possibility that there being something caught on film, if we could have some of these cameras, like you're saying, mounted in there or just, you know, there for a, a while. Right. And, and I think that there's some, like I said, there, there's some people that are doing that. And I think that there's some people, some more people that are warming up to do that because it, it, that that argument that you just posed is the thing that comes up every time. You know, if all you're going to do is you're going to go, okay, I'm on a I'm on a 12 week filming schedule. We have to hit this, 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 this. We have to have travel time. We have to have logistics. We have to have time down. And you're trying to put a show together as a producer that's much different than doing paranormal research. Um, it's, it's fun and it's entertaining, but you know, you don't get the experience the, the, the Vinoy, uh, hotel in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, I went there for a homicide conference a few years ago. And so my wife went there and I was like, Hey, let's go to Florida. It'll be great. And we go and we go check in the Vinoy hotel. 
well, I'm there. And she's like, okay, can we have room 317 or whatever it was? I can't remember, 713 or whatever. And uh, I'm like looking at her going, well, have you been here before? What the? You, what are you talking about? Is this your regular room? <laughs> she goes, no, that's the haunted room. And I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, I was on Ghost Adventure or Ghost Hunters International or something. Anyway, you know, it's, it's the haunted room. Uh, I want to stay there. And the lady's looking at her, and she, the lady goes, okay, uh, you can have – she goes, my wife asked, is it available? And the lady's like, it's always available. She's like, well, okay, we want that. And the lady said, well, if you guys want to move in the middle of the night, they're going to charge you for two rooms. Oh, no, 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 no we're, we're we're good. We're fine. she really tried to talk us out. So we get the room, we go in there, and I don't have any equipment with me or anything. But I had a big bag of gummy bears, so I put gummy bears on everything, <laughs> all around the shelves and mm. all around the lamp and stuff. Just you know, if we got movement, maybe a gummy bear will fall over. It's my like little sensitive thing. <laughs> and so we sat down and we pulled up the laptop and we watched the episode. Well. That episode, they actually got there a little bit late that night. Uh, they went to sleep. The The lights flickered on the, the lamp. The closet doors opened up, and the uh, ironing board fell out. Um, and they were pretty freaked out by this whole thing, right? And, uh, and then they left early that morning. So they didn't even spend 24 hours there. They didn't even spend 12 hours there. Uh, but it came away that, hey, you know, there's something going on in this room. So we're there. And, um, and you know, don't call me a debunker. I'm not a debunker. People that say that are the ones that are like, well, you know, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. You know, <laughs> like, no, but if, if this is the facts, then that's what it is. So if you have uh, some sort of uh, um, mechanism that is, is doing something weird, uh, you know, and you say it's a, it's a mechanism or a paranormal indicator, like doors moving or sounds or light flickering or stuff, you need to eliminate the stuff that it could possibly be before paranormal, right? Right, like a well, TV radiator. Yeah, yeah. So the the lamp, I checked all the electric in there and the, and the, the water and everything, and everything seemed to be really good. I looked at the, the closet door. The closet doors had the little roller balls. You know how you close a, a swinging closet door and it's got the little roller ball at the top and it rolls mm-hmm. in and it snaps into place? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when you're pulling it halfway open, well, that ball is depressed and it's got more force on it. So you can kind of touch it and it'll pop open, make a noise, and the, the door will swing open. So I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe the door wasn't closed all the way. And then I look at the, the ironing board. The ironing board is one of those ones that are hung on the wall, and it didn't have the, the complete hooks. It just had these two little, like, plastic lips that stuck out. And so the ironing board sat on that. And the iron set on top of it. Well, I check out the room. I go outside. Well, the outside edge of my room was the outside edge of the closet that I was just in and the wall where the ironing board is hung. Mm-hmm. Right there at that joining within six inches of each other is a fire safe door for the uh, um, fire escape. So, if you've ever used one of those big metal fire escape doors, you open them up, and then you walk through, and they close very slowly except for the last three or four inches, and then they slam shut. That's the way that they're designed. Well, on this fire escape, um, it was built on the outside of the hotel after the hotel was created, 
uh, probably many years later, and it was made out of a cinder block, and it had those decorative holy cinder blocks that made up like a little flower pattern mm. on each level. Well, you're on the beach. The other weird thing that was on the TV show was this moaning. There was this moaning in the room, and there was moaning in the room. Um, but the moaning in the room was caused by the wind and the Coke bottle effect coming across that, that uh, fire escape, and it was, it was really cool. It vibrated. It was really, really neat. Hmm. But it wasn't paranormal. It's just the wind coming across there. And so my hypothesis on it was somebody used that fire, fire door, and when it slammed, somebody hadn't put that, uh, that um, ironing board up properly and popped off of there, knocking the door open and closed, you know, I mean, falling out in the, into the room. Uh, I couldn't explain the, the lights flickering because all the electricity seemed to work fine. Um, but you know that I, I think that I did it, and that was a that was over a five day period. I kind of worked this out uh, for the for the whole conference, and uh, so you know that's an in depth long thing as opposed to just sleeping there for five hours and, and having these experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Did I put everybody to sleep on them? No, no, that no, was that fascinating. Was it was it was it was interesting to hear you kind of break down the detective approach to this this haunting. Um, which is interesting because um, this weekend you're in town here in, in Salt Lake City to um, investigate – or well, not to investigate, but to be part of the March with Aliens event. Now, am I mistaken that this is happening at Trolley Square Mall? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's at Trolley Square Mall. Now, Trolley Square Mall, I don't know whether you know this or not, but is infamous uh, for a couple reasons. Not only is Trolley Square Mall over 100 years old and it used to be a trolley station – um, there are recorded deaths there from when it was a train station. They have a ghost there named Walt that haunts the place. But it was also the site of, uh, of an infamous um, public shooting, mass shooting in 2006 that not a lot of people know about because uh, it happened just before Anna Nicole Smith died and literally got buried in the news because there was this larger national story. But wow. um, the people were actually killed in that mall. And we, as a as a group, were um, a few years ago were allowed to spend our spend the night there, uh, and you know we didn't really focus on the shooting aspect of it. We focused on the history of it, and we got quite a few interesting things. It's up on YouTube, and it's um, but it's all about the mall that you'll be at. There's some interesting parts of that mall that were were darker than others, more active than others. Um, there's some interesting tunnels under that mall. Um, if you, you can probably ask, they'll probably let you down into that are really fascinating, but it's a really cool place. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you can go over there and debunk some of the things that we captured. Um, but it's a, it's a fascinating place and it's full, absolutely full of history and energy. You'll find out when you get there. Stop it. I'm not a debunker. (laughs) That's not my intent at all. It's just, you know. So yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to do that. Yeah, it's a cool um, place for sure. I'm I'm really looking. I've got to work with John Zaffis a couple of different times, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him again. Uh, uh, he, I think he's doing a meet and greet on Thursday. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to go to tomorrow. Um, and yeah, and I, I think there's a meet and greet on Friday, and then the event on Saturday. So should be a it should be a lot of fun. It'd be good to see Travis Walton again. If you've never met him, he's a he's a really good guy. And I will be buying him breakfast probably Sunday morning. 
You are so nice. Uh, For those those of you listening to the podcast, you obviously remember Travis Walton, um, the inspiration for the Fire in the Sky movie. He is, um, his story is absolutely infamous. Um, Tell us maybe just a little bit about the event. I, I don't know that we'll get this. We only might get this up in in time, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but just so people people know like why you're in town and and what what this what this is and how cool this event really is. Okay, well, uh, the March of the Aliens. Um, Josh Gates did uh, in search of extraterrestrial uh, series. Uh, I think it was early last year. Um, and, uh, and anyway, so he's going to be, he's going to be at March of the Aliens and he's the headliner and, uh, it should be pretty, pretty cool. It's going to be a lot of, uh, uh, Lauren Coleman, um, he, who is a, uh, long time researcher in, uh, Bigfoot, um, and other types of, uh, animals that, that behave that way. Um, he's going to be there. Travis Walton's going to be there. John Zaffis, uh, Dave Schrader, uh, Darkness Radio and, um, Beyond the Darkness, and uh, and he's going to be there, and uh, it it should be a good good time. There's going to be quite a quite a few other speakers there also, uh, and we're all just going to kind of be posing the question on what's going on out there, uh, because I mean, you know, that's the the amazing thing is, you know, when the Catholic Church comes forward and says, yes, there's no doubt that there are uh, life forms in other places, and you know, it's all part of God's plan. Well, good. I'm glad you're on board now, because there are a lot of planets out there, and uh, you know it's all, almost uh, infinite amount of planets. Um, and 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 the same thing with uh, time. You know, we we don't really quite understand what's going on with time at this point. And um, and and so there's a lot of questions. And uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, the Roswell incident. So and the famous I, incident. Yeah, well, you know, people are like, "Oh, you're going to talk about Roswell?" Yeah, I'm talking about other stuff than Roswell too. Mm. Um, you know, I the story typically any story is with the people that experienced it, and so a lot of people concentrate so much on, you know, aliens. Where's the spacecraft? Where are the aliens? Well, yeah, that that would be great, but I don't see that uh, coming to the surface anytime soon. So. Um, looking at the people involved and looking at what happened in their lives after Roswell, uh, you know, something's good, something's bad, uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating. So I'll be deconstructing Roswell, hmm. um, which is not a debunker theory. <laughs> it's, no, a, it's a deconstructor. No. It's a whole different set of, yeah. set of D, it's a whole different D word with three syllables. So, you know, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I really like the way you bring all the facts into everything, though. Well, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm, I love to sit at a bar and, and uh, drink a beer and, and tell ghost stories. I like that. Uh-huh. Um, but when we're really looking for something, I take it pretty serious as far as, you know, is this what we think it is? And, you know, we, we use all these different measurements, right? We got ghost meters, ghost boxes, you got uh, EVPs, you got EMF readers, you got all this stuff. Um, But nobody has a baseline. Nobody can tell me what we're measuring. And I see people use it absolutely wrong, and I see it on the TV shows. So I know a bunch of people are watching it, and they're getting online and buying this uh, ghost detector and going out and using it. It's a a stud finder. (laughs) They they got it from – 
from Home Depot. They pulled Stud Finder off of it. Put ghost detector on it. Stud Finder, that's great. It, well, and and the thing about it is, is if you're using it as let, let's say you're you have an EMF detector, and you want to use it to identify the naturally occurring EMF in the house, that's a good way to use that tool. You go okay over at this light socket, uh, at this you know junction box, at this AC, we're picking up EMF. That's fine. So we know that that's where it is. So if EMF pops up someplace else that we can't explain, well, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the anomalous stuff. We're not looking for the stuff that I can answer. That's a ghost. Because you don't know, yeah. I don't think, whether, you know, whether it's a ghost, a gin, a time traveler, a, you know, an interdimensional visitor, a shadow people, somebody possessed, a gin, extra threat. I don't know what it is. Can we go back to Pizza Hut for a minute? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like Pizza Hut. <laughs> My favorite was the... Uh, Small pizza, small thin pizza, pepperoni <laughs> with extra cheese. I yeah, love the cheese crust. That's my favorite. But when she was catatonic and she thought she was with the aliens at that time being tortured, do you think there's some kind of time travel the aliens were doing? or Well, and so, thing? And, and that's the question, right? Uh, I, I don't know whether I was missing any time. I don't think I was missing any time. She obviously had, had you know, missed time during that. And uh, let's say if there are extraterrestrials that are either time travelers or, or interdimensional manipulators or however it is that they move around. If that is the case, it's really hard, I think, to try to figure out how much time she spent there. She could have spent weeks with them and then popped back in in, in three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could have been, you know, she it's less. Maybe she was only there for 10 seconds and, and she was locked up for three minutes and, and had to recover out of her, um, you know, out of this attack her body was under. So um, I've thought about that a lot. And I'm, you know, I, I never kept in touch with uh, with her um, out of, you know, she quit pizza, went someplace else, and, and I never saw her again. But, um, yeah, I always kind of wondered what, what happened with her and, uh, and and how all that evolved. I had, uh, I had a lady that I worked with that was a prominent businesswoman, um, well-educated, uh, and ran a great uh, service business. And... I knew her for a couple of years before she went, oh, I heard that you do paranormal investigation stuff. I'm like, yeah, she is. Well, I, I want to talk to you sometime. <laughs> here, we, here we go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they, she experienced something similar. Um, everything would freeze in time, and she could maneuver around the house, but everything else was frozen. Uh, if there were people in the house, yeah, if there were people in the house, they would not – they would just be statues um, and she would go outside and it would be dark, but there would be like, you know how in a foggy night you have a cone of light that comes down. Mm-hmm. Well, there would be multiple of those all around the town. She lives kind of up on a hill and she could kind of see a large part of the small town that she lived in. She lives in actually she lived in, she moved. Um, but and she would see these UFOs parked, and they would be – their light would be on people's houses, and they were 
doing something to those people in those houses, and the light would be on her house. Um, and yeah, and they would, uh, uh, she would have these experimental experiences um, of, you know, that involved pain, bright lights. Um, and so, yeah, and, and I, I talked to her about going and, and, uh, and getting an MRI and uh, she wouldn't do it. So that's one of those, that's one of those investigations where you go, okay, um, I'm going to collect all the information I can from this person. Uh, and if they fail to cooperate with the rest of the investigation, well, that's where it, it ends because without me being able to, and I have people here that will uh, will do an MRI, and it, it's not going to cost you a whole bunch of money. And so if you have somebody that will stop and go, no, I would rather believe that I'm being abducted than to find out that I have something wrong with my brain. Yeah. Because I've had, I've had that on multiple occasions. Uh, they want to tell me this experience, but they don't want to do anything about it. Or they don't want to, you know, check themselves in, in, more in depth. Um, and that has to go with it with all this. But I also don't blame them for not being a, you know, if they're if they're being experimented on. Yeah, they probably don't want to go to doctors. Yeah, they don't want to. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't want to do this again. Yeah, they they might not want to know. 